Okay, this is a, a little clip by Malcolm X on liberals and, and how they were trying to solve the problem of segregation, racism, and so on uh, in the oh, 1960s, I believe. it. This is old black and white footage. Well, you're going to hear it. You're not going to see it. What? There are many whites who are trying to solve the problem, but you never see them going under the label of liberals. That, that white person that you see calling himself a liberal is the most dangerous thing in the entire Western Hemisphere. He's the most deceitful. He's like a fox, and a fox is, almost, is always more dangerous in the forest than the wolf. You can see the wolf coming. You know what he's up to, but the fox will fool you. He comes at you with his mouth shaped in such a way that even though you see his teeth, you think he's smiling and taking for a friend. But Malcolm X got... Okay, and then there... There's a... There's a, a song that started to play that was negative towards Malcolm X, and I'm not going to play that song. Um... I want to see if I can find this other clip, though, that I wanted to play of Malcolm. I'd like to point out, though, that I, I, I say that because it is usually the, if you study the structure of the Negro community, economically, politically, civically, psychologically, and otherwise, it's controlled by the white liberal mm -hmm. who usually poses as the friend of the Negro, who actually differs from the white conservative in, in the same way that the fox differs from the wolf. Uh, their appetite is the same. Their motives are the same. It's only their mannerisms and, and methods that differ. I would agree that uh, no doubt there have been a large number of, of whites who have posed as liberals and as friends of the Negro and who have time and again betrayed the Negro. Uh, on the other hand, I think one could point to a large number of whites uh, who have struggled for civil rights, Give me for equality, and have got little or nothing out of it. Uh, other than uh, quite a few bruises. Give me an example. Well, the, the large number of, of white uh, students who have gone into the South, for example, working for SNCC and other organizations. Not working for SNCC or other organizations, but working for uh, the white uh, political machines who benefit by the voting uh, efforts of Negroes. Okay. I'll be more specific. Uh, I would cite Herbert Hill, for example, as, an, as, <laughs> as a kind of person who has... Uh, champion Negro job rights, for example, uh, in New York City and elsewhere. He has fought the political machine. First time I met Herbert Hill personally was when they were picketing to stop the working on the uh, Harlem Hospital in Harlem. Negroes for 10 years had to fight the city to get uh, an annex built on the Harlem Hospital. Because in Harlem we need a hospital more so than anything else. Our people are sick. Plus, we do a lot of cutting and shooting of each other, though we profess to be nonviolent. And uh, Herbert Hill brought his forces out and stopped the working on that site. Uh, this is the first time I ever saw him. Then, uh, when work was brought to a halt on a hospital in Harlem, the same Negroes tried to uh, stop the work at the downstate uh, medical center in Brooklyn, which is predominantly white. They, they were out there for three months during the summer. Couldn't stop anything. And I never saw Herbert Hill out there one time. Now, whenever something, whenever it takes uh, a stoppage of something that's going to affect the white man, you find the white liberal absent. 
But it, when it uh, involves something that primarily will affect the best interests of black people and black people only, then that white liberal is present. Herbert Hill is the labor secretary for the NAACP. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, if he was interested in black people, he would prepare a black man with the type of knowledge and understanding of the labor troubles involving black people that would enable uh, a black man to sit in the same position as secretary of labor or labor secretary in the NAACP. I'm suspicious of whites who join Negroes and always have to be in the lead, who always have to be the head, who always have to be at the top in Negro organizations. Those whites who really have the interest of blacks at heart, let them give some advice to some Negroes and stand on the sidelines. But don't join the organization and then get at the head of it and pose as a friend of Negroes. Well, so Malcolm shoots from the hip, man. He, he don't pull punches, didn't pull punches. And that's, that's one of the things I liked about him. Um, you know, there's times that need a change. And, uh, you know, I, I like anybody that stands up and fights for change. Uh, so that's just kind of some thoughts and figures from a different perspective on liberals. And Malcolm was no fan of conservative whites either. But he makes a good point there. The, the white man that's trying to help the black will teach the black how to lead and then stand on the sidelines. I think that's a, a pretty, pretty interesting, very good take on things. So, God rest in peace, Malcolm X. So, what's going on, man? Oh, welcome to another uh, panic attack with Big John. Joined tonight by Doc from the Break Wall, and we're uh, currently undergoing some civil unrest tonight. And the last few days, uh, I just came across a, a formerly live stream. Well, I guess it was 22 hours ago. Uh, I thought this was live, but they were even rioting in Columbus, Ohio a little bit. And, uh, well, before we get into it, let's bring Doc on. How are you doing, man? Big John, what's going on, brother? I'm doing great. Yeah, just uh, hanging out here at the house and watching all the, the latest news and uh, infinite wisdom of some of these rioters that were in Columbus today. To yesterday, I guess, 22 hours ago. Um, you got more connections in Columbus. Uh, you know how bad it got down there? I just learned about this. Well, as you were uh, tonight uh, watching uh, some live feeds, I was as well, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, on Facebook, uh, some of the local news stations in Columbus, uh, we're posting uh, live updates, uh, live uh, continuous feeds of, of what they call a protest um, in Columbus. Now, last night appears appeared to have been 
the uh, uh, more severe, uh, I say that, and we still have a little ways to go tonight. Uh, the state house was busted up. Uh, the um, windows were broken. Uh, windows were broken in businesses in the core center of downtown, uh, hotels, Starbucks. So there was some significant vandalism last night. From what I saw tonight, it doesn't look like there was uh, anything more than just throwing debris in the streets, turning over boxes. But again, uh, the night's still young and it's a Friday night. We'll see what happens. Yeah, this is uh, going crazy. Um, I was watching, I don't know how the heck it popped up on my Facebook news feed, but uh, it, it's Laura Borchers from uh, Channel 12 in Columbus. Um, and it, it's confusing and sad all at the same time. Uh, you know, uh, what I'm watching right now is they were trying to set, apparently outside the state house, there's a little field of American flags. And they set a few on fire, I guess, hoping that the rest would catch fire. And uh, the police officers are taking up the American flags that uh, didn't catch, which was the majority of them. Um, and, well, I've seen two women that were uh, obviously non-American citizens and Muslim uh, in uh, religion, uh, the first one was speaking Somali because the, the only word I could understand uh, that she said was Somalia or Somali. Uh, but you know, they're F America, you know, they're even, you know, yelling F at the reporter. And one guy was, you know, yelling at the reporter, the revolution will not be televised. I'm like, are they threatening the reporters? What, what the heck's going on here? You know, they're just angry at everyone. Um, well, that's a good point. That's a, that's probably a thesis statement in the discussion tonight. It's a lot of these people are just really angry, um, and and not angry uh, solely about uh, the tragedy, the the killing of uh, George Floyd. I, I think these are people that have just have a lot of pent up anger and frustration that emanates from uh, political indoctrination, uh, educational indoctrination, or just a, a warped view of society. Uh, a lot of folks could be uh, motivated by uh, George Floyd's killing. Um, but I don't think that those folks by and large that are truly motivated by that and concerned about that are the ones that are destroying things and destroying personal property. I think there's in this mix of people that they call protesters uh, are good people uh, who are really concerned about what happened uh, to an individual uh, that appears to have not really posed a big threat uh, and was clearly a victim of excessive force. Um, you know, I see on my Facebook feed right now, there's protests in Minneapolis, Detroit, uh, looks like Los Angeles. They're a few hours behind us. So maybe they're just getting started. Uh, Atlanta, Columbus, 
Dallas. I don't know if I said Dallas or not, but um, San Jose, uh, Indianapolis. So this is around, and the feeds are on Facebook. But it doesn't look like, first off, it is not a demonstration. Uh, this stuff is happening in the cover of night. Um, these are these are folks that I, I think are less protesting and, and just really motivated to uh, for destruction, destruction of the the civil infrastructure. And interestingly enough, um, again, uh, I don't know how motivated they are uh, to try to rectify a wrong, um, but uh, in the Columbus feed, there was one person was yelling at a cop and calling him white trash. I don't know what that accomplishes, uh, but that's one of the sentiments expressed by a quote protester. Yeah, the I I would agree with you that uh, the majority of what's happening is not. There are people that are frustrated with uh, a society wide problem, um, not necessarily you know one person's death or murder uh but you know things they feel they as a community have been uh slighted for over the years um or that they feel they've been slighted as a community over the years that's a better way of stating it and you know Um, what there's some there is some real um validity to that Um, And the tack that I take uh, is probably less racial, though I I do recognize that that exists. We don't know if race was a a factor in what happened to George Floyd. We do know that it was excessive uh, police force that killed this guy. I mean, what this officer did was beyond uh, comprehension. It's certainly not anything that's taught in the police academy from what I'm being told. Um, but we don't know yet if it was racially motivated. Uh, and that's an important distinction. And that's, you know, where the feds will really get involved uh, to that extent. But, um, you know, uh, the, the, the bigger point here is that uh, there's also this issue of uh, a community, inner city community, that has really been overlooked and lied to. Uh, by authorities, uh, governmental authorities and governmental institutions for a really long time. And there's real struggles there. And uh, personally, I think it's uh, as a result of uh, liberalism and false promises and victimization that's caused a lot of this uh, deterioration uh, in the uh, inner city that's not to suggest that there aren't strong family units and strong uh, faith-based initiatives that are going on. But I think well, what we've seen is an impediment to real progress that is offered by uh, a large uh, government dependency and victimization that's not promoted so much by uh, African-Americans as it is, frankly, by white liberals. Yeah. And I think uh, to an extent we're seeing uh, uh, a fallout from that. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw it in the 1960s, frankly. 
when things kind of bubbled up. And we see it uh, throughout history uh, from time to time, more so in recent years. And um, again, I want to emphasize I, I, what happened to George Floyd is just ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it angers me. Um, it is, it's disgusting. And I don't think anybody is um, defending the actions of this bad cop. But it seems now the debate is whether or not you're for or against riots, judging your commitment to racial equality. And that clearly is um, a disturbing dynamic in and of itself. Right. It's, um, you know, this takes me back to, uh, you know, in our lifetime, the L.A. riots uh, after the... Um, uh, Rodney King uh, beating. Now his there was a, a gap in time. I mean, the video came out, and then I think it was a few months later that the police officers were acquitted, and then the riots took place. Uh, if my memory's correct, but if you, this is kind of a strange way to tell history, but it's true uh if you watch the movie uh straight out of compton uh the story of the rap group nwa uh the things they were putting in their song lyrics which one song was f the police um it's you know four young black men that maybe one of them was a drug dealer but the other three or four or five were just black guys with musical talent that happened to be from Compton. And so anyhow, they wrote about what they saw happening in their streets and it got turned around on them. And people in the media said, well, you're encouraging this. And they're like, no, our art reflects our reality. And the reality that led up to those L.A. riots were police kind of randomly targeting. And this was a, a plan by the LAPD. If you saw, you know, four or five young black males standing on a street corner dressed a certain way, you would stop the police cruiser, get out and interrogate them, pat them down for no reason. Uh, and, you know, maybe they, you would ha they would have drugs or weapons on them. Maybe they wouldn't. But that's what infuriated the black community. And the rest of us didn't know about it until we saw the videotape of Rodney King getting his ass whipped. Uh, and fortunately, Rodney didn't die from, you know, what happened to him. Uh, I think he might actually got rich by suing L.A., but uh, nonetheless, this is, uh, this kind of reminds me of that situation. There was, you know, frustration that built up over the decade of the 1980s uh, in the inner city with poverty and drugs and promises by, you know, politicians. Uh, and then they started to see the police as the enemy because 
the police were the ones out there doing the arrests and doing this and that. And then when the Rodney King video came out and the officers got acquitted, then all hell broke loose. But it was a long period of frustration building up to that. Um, and, you know, there are people such as pre former President Obama, uh, Jesse, Jesse Jackson, not as much lately, but uh, Al Sharpton for sure, that, you know, instigate things. And then they blame stuff on Donald Trump and say, well, it's his racist rhetoric that fueled this. What the hell? Yeah, well, I think that brings up a good point, and that is, you know, why is it, though, um, does it seem that if, if and, and I'm just going to give you an observation that I've had, and I heard, uh, actually, uh, Jamie Foxx make this point on Facebook. Why does it seem that, you know, a, um, a white guy uh, gets detained who shoots up a church he's apprehended but a black guy who's passing a $20 a phony $20 bill gets killed and the the analysis of that is why does the escalation in force seem to occur at a more significant rate when a black person's involved than a white person and I'm not taking a side on that one way or another. I just think that that's a, an observation worth thinking about because I think if you, I, I think there's some validity to that. And I don't know if it's because of the kinds of neighborhoods, um, the kinds of um, stereotypes that might be out there. I, who the hell knows? Is it racism? I don't know, but there clearly is something going on that requires us to think about how a guy could go from simply passing a phony $20 bill and could end up 15 minutes later dead who was offering well, no resistance right who was handcuffed and surrounded by four officers yeah the, you know i have uh let's kind of i wanted to get into the uh the floyd stuff and then i saw that there's still I saw the Columbus riot stuff and that got me off track a little bit, but um, the funny, the not, it, nothing's funny about this, but uh, an interesting fact that came out today was uh, George Floyd and uh, Derek Chauvin, I guess is how they're pronouncing his last name. Derek Chauvin were actually security bouncers at the same nightclub at one point for about a year. Uh, that doesn't mean they were friends. Doesn't mean they had a lot of interaction. They were both, you know, part-time security guards at a nightclub, but going back to the nightclub days, uh, this Chauvin office, former officer Chauvin had a history. They said of, uh, jumping to conclusions, escalating things very quickly, uh, basically a hothead or a temper. And, you know, in that video, um, there have been 
several other videos released too. And, you know, the seven or eight minutes that Chauvin is on his neck is the most uh, famous one. But there's a security camera from a store that catches a lot more. And or, uh, George Floyd, you know, was taken out of his vehicle by an off pulled out of the vehicle by uh, what looked to be a black officer. He made, he may have been middle Eastern, but he was a dark skinned officer and sat down on the ground. Uh, and then they walk over towards the police cruiser where the murder happened. And you see George Floyd fall to the ground as he's stepping off the curb. Um, so, but you don't see George Floyd resisting anything. And, you know, people were, people are now pissed off that, okay, you press charges, <clears throat> but it wasn't first degree murder. Um, I looked up the Minnesota uh, statutes on murder and first degree murder, there has to be premeditation. So, they would have to prove that office, former officer, whatever, Chauvin uh, woke up that morning and said, I'm going to go kill George Floyd. Well, that's obviously not the case. So first degree murder is automatically off the table. Um, let me reset our brains here a little bit and play some of the press conference from the Henpen County attorney, which this would be <clears throat> like the county prosecutor is what we would call him here in Ohio. So let's play this real quick. Good afternoon. I'm Henpen County Attorney Mike Freeman. I'm here to announce that former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is in custody. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin has been charged by the Hennepin County Attorney's Office with murder and with manslaughter. Questions? Uh, yes, what charge of murder? He has been charged with third degree murder. We are in the process of continuing to review the evidence. There may be subsequent charges later. I failed to share with you. A detailed complaint will be made available to you this afternoon. I didn't want to wait any longer to share the news that he's in custody and has been charged with murder. What are the other three officers involved? The other, the investigation is ongoing. Uh, we felt it appropriate to focus on the most dangerous perpetrator. Um, I must say that this case has moved with extraordinary speed. This conduct, this criminal action, took place on Monday evening, May 25th, Memorial Day. I'm speaking to you at 1 o'clock on Friday, May 29th. That's less than four days. That's extraordinary. Okay. Uh, when he's saying that that's extraordinary uh, speed, it doesn't seem that way to the rest of the world. But keep in mind, in Minnesota, they had a similar incident, uh, and I, 
if I watched the video correctly, uh, a black officer killed a white, blonde-headed white lady. But it took them like 10 or 11 months to make an arrest and take it to trial. Uh, in doing some research on this uh, for the podcast, I saw a Fox News uh, thing, video, pardon me, not a thing. Uh, and Guy Lewis, a former U.S. attorney, uh, mentioned that, you know, they have to take this to a jury and convince 12 people that Chauvin uh, did this with intention to kill. Now, third degree murder, there, there's not an intent to kill, but there's a murder. And then you basically cause someone's death while perpetrating another crime. So the other crime is probably police brutality or something like that <clears throat> but what this guy lewis the former u.s attorney said is that police officers get a lot of benefit of the doubt uh from juries and uh the public in general except for the black community obviously but they get a lot of benefit of the doubt because their job is seen as being so difficult and so thankless. So uh, I guess, do we give uh, like bonus points or take points away or however you would look at that because somebody's a police officer and they were under stress and they've probably seen, uh, you know, in this neighborhood, they've probably arrested a lot of black people because of the, the the position that the black community has put been put in, no th no fault of their own, but you know poverty and drugs and crime all go hand in hand. So if you live in a poor community, like I live in a poor white community, and drugs and crime are a problem, you know. The, those things always go hand in hand. So you're probably, maybe the jury's going to think that, well, he's probably dealt with a lot of, you know, people that were on drugs. And he probably thought that, you know, this is another one of these druggies and so on and so forth is what this guy, Lewis, former U.S. attorney is thinking. Uh, do you think cops should get any benefit of the doubt? in cases like this? Well, cops are entrusted, uh, law enforcement is entrusted with an enormous amount of um, power and responsibility. And they um, put their lives on the line every single day. The overwhelming majority are good, honorable, virtuous people that live up to the creed of protect and serve. And when you're out in the field, uh, when you're on the streets, uh, even if there's video, um, it's a very, you know, tense situation. Things happen very quickly. You have no idea what could be coming at you. And um, they are there to keep us safe. Uh -huh. <clears throat> so uh, when somebody says benefit of the doubt, um, 
I, I guess I don't know how to take that. Uh, what I would say is that the you know the a, a police officer is a trusted um, on paper a trusted uh, authority that's empowered by the government to enforce the laws and keep people safe. And sometimes in the course of trying to do that, um, whether or not they stumble upon a crime or whether or not they're called. Um, there can be a lot of gray areas and that's what the justice system is for. Uh, so I think, uh, the actions of a police officer, uh, should be looked at, uh, as any other person, but also understanding, you know, the complications of the job. Uh, so I, I don't know what kind of answer that sounds like to people. Uh, but to me, uh, so long as there's equal justice under the law and that a case is uh, afforded due process, um, then I think uh, that's all we can ask for. And in this case, though, it's clear that there's an excessive police brutality going on here. And the, the video that I've seen from a lot of different angles shows that to me. And I know we're going to hear... Um, about uh, maybe this guy's past, whatever it may or may not be. I don't know how that has any bearing on anything. Uh, but we're going to hear maybe there's a medical condition or maybe there wasn't um, the cause of death wasn't technically asphyxiation. Uh, but, uh, you know, you look at that video and it's pretty clear what was going on. And, you know, it all come down uh -huh. to a lot of legalese. <clears throat> And a lot of arguments by attorneys and experts, uh, depending on what the statutes look like in Minnesota. So I think the important thing to keep in mind for people uh, is, you, you know, at this point, the, the case is taken off of the streets and into the courthouse. And that's a point that concerns me with all of this violence that appears to be going on around the country. That's not the kind of country that we have. We're not built around um, intimidation and mob rule. Uh, we, have, we have laws and we right. have a civil society and everyone's entitled to due process, but also we have a justice system that is equal treatment under the law. And in my view, and I'm not a judge, I'm not on the jury, I'm not a lawyer. But in my view, to me, the proper outcome in this case will be for whatever charges will be for this former police officer to be put for the charges. Uh, and if I was a prosecutor, I would throw the book at him and let the jury figure out what should happen uh, with the charges. And to me, it's murder. You know, that, that's what it was to me right. flat out uh, to the to the degree of murder. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. But to me, what I saw on that tape was murder. Yeah, I, I, the, watching that film, it's like so surreal. Um, I don't know that I've ever watched a human being die. And, you know, he goes limp at a certain point. Four minutes point. and 20 seconds into and the, the video, 
he goes unconscious. Yeah, and he's unconscious for what three more minutes before the for paramedics minutes, show up. The cop sitting, is sitting there, driving his leg into the man's back of his neck, and there's there is no response. Uh, there, there's no, no uh-huh. resistance. There's no response. Nobody attempted to look at the man to check the vitals. They totally um, ignored the dignity of this human being that is laid prostrate out on the street like cattle. And they just sat there. And, and you know, the, the thing to me that I noticed at first was um, you have that the age, the ninja, the little Asian cop who at one point started, tried to kick a bystander who was approaching uh, the street. The person stepped off the curb and was trying to get over there and help George Floyd. And the Asian officer kind of kicked yeah, at him said, with We've his been foot. at this for 10 minutes uh, trying to get this guy into the car. Well, I don't, you know. <laughs> I don't see him trying to get him into a car. Yeah, I, I don't see, see anybody trying him. to pick anybody but, up and get him into a car. I don't see anybody checking this guy out. And um, I, I noticed at first it looked like the other two officers disappeared somewhere. If you look from a, another, a third camera angle, the other two officers are actually on, one's on his back, on has his knees and george floyd's back and the other one has his knees on george floyd's right, that's legs a key point they, they and, had three guys on this dude now, this is a big dude no doubt about it george floyd was a yeah. big man but they're, they're but cops have ta- cops have tasers and there guns were three guys sake. on him and baton. the guy was handcuffed he and was he not was a threat the fight was over yeah absolutely and I mean, I was I watch um, this one officer, former police officer on YouTube, Brandon Tatum, and you know he's generally pro cop, but even he is like, we were not taught this method in police academy. There's a method uh, where you put your knee on somebody's shoulder, but we're taught not to put your knee on their neck, and also. Uh, these other two guys, the Hodge twins, they were uh, rent-a-cops at a store after they got out of the Marines. And they were taught, you know, you can restrain somebody, but don't put your body weight on them. Because even putting your body weight on them for uh, just a few minutes can kill them, as we saw Especially with Especially if Floyd. you're turned over now, on your stomach. It's even more enhanced. And if you take a look at the video yeah. of the cop that had his knee in his neck, his left, what was it? His, uh, well, whatever leg it was, let's just say it was his left leg, and his right foot is like scooting around. It's almost, it's like a, it's like a, a wet noodle. So the way that his body was, however much this cop weighed, two hundred twenty pounds, whatever. Every single bit of that weight was in that right in that leg on that man's neck. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention the other two um, guys that were on him as well. And I just think, you know, you, again, you get back to the question: the cops deserve the benefit of the doubt. 
to the extent that they're engaged in trying to detain a suspect that is in a violent situation, offering resistance, the cops have to get control of the situation. But that is not what happened here. From any evidence I have seen from multiple angles and sources of video, that did not happen here. So how do you afford somebody the benefit of the doubt who, in my view, knew exactly what they were doing? I, I honestly think they were trying yeah, it, to, del- to deliver some kind of sleeper hold to, to pass this guy out. It was either that or they legitimately were trying to kill him. There's no other, there's no other two possibilities the way I see it. This isn't an accident. You know, this isn't, oh, I used too much force by accident. No, you knew what you were doing. You were either trying to do something that you thought you were qualified to do and you screwed up, which is bad. Or you were trying to kill him. Well, let's. Uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, medical history, and the medical examiner did put out a report uh, today. I saw on one of the Minnesota TV stations uh, the the quote main quote that I copied off the screen was. The combined effects of Mr. Floyd's being restrained by the police, his underlying health conditions, and in parentheses I put heart because uh, the reporter did say that he had um, a heart condition. Okay, and then it says, and potential intoxicants in his system likely contributed to his death. So you have a person with a bad heart being laid on by three cops. Let's just say for mathematical sakes, they all weighed 200 pounds. And I think some of them weighed more than that. All of them weighed more than that. But you got 600 pounds, okay, laying on top of your body. And at least 400 pounds of that is on your chest and stomach and neck there is no way these uh three or four cops could have known that they were not killing this guy and when you look at uh the minnesota uh revised code or statutes however you want to say it uh the first degree murder okay is off the books because it requires premeditation but The third-degree murder, uh, it says, whosoever without intent to affect the death of any person causes the death of another by perpetrating an act eminently dangerous to others and evicting a depraved mind without regard for human life, is guilty of murder and may be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than 25 years. So hopefully this guy gets the whole 25. But everything that is in that statement in Minnesota law that I just read to you is what we see in the video. 
you know, we see uh, the cause the cause of death of another uh, perpetuating an act eminently dangerous to others. Uh, putting your knee on somebody's neck is an act that is dangerous to others. Well, we'll have obviously. to take a look at uh, uh, some of the other. Well, y- yes, short answer is I would agree. My understanding is on this statute that it was that third degree murder. Uh, first off, I don't think third degree murder is even in Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. That I mean, that's just you know you're dealing with another state here, and I don't think it's commonplace around the country to have this classification. Uh, mm-hmm. My understanding is also that this was a provision that was rarely prosecuted. This this charge was rarely prosecuted, uh, but became more so during the opiate epidemic. So obviously you would tag mm-hmm. something like this on someone who uh, was selling drugs or making drugs or whatever. Um, because the mm. it, you know you sell somebody drugs you're not trying to kill them but um right. they died and the 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 fact that you're selling drugs is is dangerous um and you don't have okay. any regard for human life by engaging it it'll be interesting to see and this is the part of things um that will really piss people off if this goes the other way to every person looking at this, yeah. this cop did something bad. But, um, you know, maybe he doesn't get third degree murder. Maybe he gets something less. I mean, even that, I think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he gets involuntary manslaughter. I mean, the prosecution's going to have to yeah, they- charge this guy with a lot of things other than third degree murder. They did charge him with manslaughter, and I don't have the Minnesota definition of that in front of me. Also, the, uh, it was, we saw in the video, it said that, or heard in the video, uh, the county prosecutor said that, you know, these are just the first charges. And as they look at more evidence, there could be more charges to come. So it's possible that this may get bumped up to a, first or second degree murder charge this third degree charge could have been just to get him into custody so he was not a flight risk and also to calm the public yeah, and outcry, i think that's what it was even though i, I honestly think it, it, they had to they had to do something um because this yeah. was getting out of control yeah, and they luckily had this third-degree murder that they could – it's a very broad law, but it was clearly broken in this – just in that one video angle that you saw. You know, I mean, the disregard for human life is in this law it's that like, you it's mentioned. It's like reckless behavior and all these is things. really what it comes down to me. It's, it's reckless behavior that causes the death of another person without intent. Yeah. So, you know, that that's key too, you know, and that's like you said, what separates it from first degree and third degree, you know, there is no, there, there was no premeditation and, and not, and not intent. It's just in the course of things, you know, we were very uh, 
acting extraordinary in your conduct recklessly and you killed somebody. And so, you know, you, you can get, you know, like people who drive a car and kill somebody and it was an accident. For example, that's not going to be murder. Uh, it's going to be manslaughter, mm-hmm. involuntary manslaughter, vehicular homicide. Uh, something, and I'm right. not a lawyer, but I'm just kind of going by memory here. You're, you're not going to charge somebody with murder in that situation. This is this is like a step above that in my mind. Um, it, it wasn't just uh, an accident. Uh, this 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 guy was engaging in excessive, reckless behavior, and he should have known better. And so we'll see what happens. But, it, you know, look, if you're I don't know how big George Floyd was, but the picture I saw, he looked pretty big. Um, you're going to be that size. Uh, you're going to have heart problems. You're going to have uh, strain on your arteries. I mean, it's just it's a fact. It's a medical fact. There are people half of his size uh, that would have potential heart injury. So does that mean? Uh, you know, if that's a defense, well, he had a bad heart. Well, who doesn't have a bad, who couldn't be pointed to that it would have a bad heart? That almost seems like that's an excuse after the fact, you know? Um, right. And also I think in that report, that autopsy preliminary report, it said that there wasn't any direct, um, or wasn't any severe, uh, asphyxia, uh, trauma, um, and it's like, right, yeah. well, what the hell is your definition of trauma, of asphyxia? The guy's got 200 foot pounds of pressure on on a guy's neck area. <laughs> if that's, I mean, is it not trauma because there wasn't a mark? Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, because the esophagus You're wasn't right. completely damaged or destroyed. Is that not trauma? I mean, I know what I saw. And the, the final point that I have on that is the part of that report that was the, the coroner is really going to have to be tough on to, to stick with it is contributing. It did, they, he did say in that report that in addition to these other medical conditions, the police activity contributed to his death. Now, in Ohio, if you contribute, that's good enough. So this guy will have to uh, stand up in court and hold to that. And that might be uh, the linchpin of the whole case. We'll see. But I will be really upset if, you know, all of a sudden it comes up, well, he had meth in his body or his heart was weak or, you know, he was intoxicated. I'm sorry, but there was no resistance. The handcuffs were on. It's over. I don't care the condition of somebody's heart right. or anything else like that. The cop should have never had that neck in a knee in the back of this guy's neck for 10 minutes. Right. This, uh, I mean, we're, I think everybody's on the same page here. Everyone. I've seen has said that, you know, this was excessive force by the police. And the officer is uh, the one with the Chauvin, Chauvin, whatever, uh, with his knee on the guy's neck is saying, hey, kids, this is why you don't do drugs. That shows me uh, that there was some prejudice uh, 
in <clears throat> pardon me involved here. Uh, not saying racism. There's a fine line between racism and prejudice. <clears throat> but this is what uh, U.S. Attorney Erica McDonald had to say about this. The U.S. Attorney's Office and the Attorney General are looking at civil rights violations here. Let's hear what Erica McDonald had to say. To be clear, the Department of Justice has made the investigation, in this case, a top priority. We have assigned highest to the high in my office to investigate and look at the case. FBI, likewise, has assigned their experienced law enforcement officers to conduct the investigation. And to be clear, President Trump, as well as Attorney General, Attorney General William Barr are directly and actively monitoring the investigation in this case. I have had direct communications with Attorney General Barr and his staff and will continue to do so. The federal investigation in this case will determine whether the actions the former Minneapolis police officers took violated any federal criminal laws to include any civil rights violations. Federal civil rights and criminal cases have categories and one is called under color of law. In other words, if an officer, whether it be federal, state, local, or tribal, is acting, acting under their authority and asserts or invokes the power bestowed upon them to deprive any person of any right or privilege protected by the Constitution or the law of the United States. That is a violation of federal criminal law. It must be proven that the subject took action or did not take action when he or she knew that was wrong and chose to do it anyway. As with all matters, the investigation in this case will be comprehensive and will be conducted with the highest integrity as the community would expect. For those that aren't aware of my background, prior to being the United States Attorney for the District of Minnesota, I was a judge in Dakota County for over eight plus years. Having sat on that side of the bench and having presided over a multitude of trials, I can tell you, I can tell the community, I can tell everybody interested that it is critical, it is essential, it is imperative that the investigation is done right and done right the first time. And that is what we are going to do. This has been a rapidly evolving situation. We first learned of it in the early morning hours of Tuesday. The FBI reached out directly to me and we have been working on this case nonstop since we were notified. Okay. So with either the intention to violate civil rights uh, or there, um, 
I don't know. I'm not familiar with civil rights law, but this is, you know, something where clearly his rights as a human being were being violated. Um, the intriguing thing is the four officers, they knew their rights and they were able to invoke their fifth amendment right. And they all refused to give statements so as not to self-incriminate. Um, but Mr. Floyd was denied his rights as an individual to a whole slew of things, uh, you know, by the actions of those four officers. Uh, and, you know, to see a man dehumanized uh, the way that George Floyd was in his final moments, to hear him saying that, you know, my, my, my stomach hurts, my dick hurts, my everything hurts, I can't breathe. And then in his, you know, final moments, you hear him start to cry for Christ's sake. Now I'm getting worked up, but th there's no way that you can say his basic human rights and civil rights were not being violated. Uh, so that can throw more on top of this. So I, I really, like you, want to see this officer, officers, uh, get the book thrown at them, as we, we like to say. And so maybe we're going to throw a few books at them. We can, you know, get the third degree murder and up to 25 years uh, and then, you know, get civil right violations on top of that and get another, you know, number of years put on that. Um, I, another, uh, I don't know how with it, we'll, we'll go this road. We got like eight minutes left. Uh, there's a thing called prison justice and these three, three off four officers are going to be put in a jail with, uh, well, let's just be frank, black men and minorities that feel oppressed. Uh, you don't think they're going to get their asses whipped when they get to jail. I mean, so they're going to get, what's coming to them if a jury finds them guilty um, being a little frank there, but um, you know, it, it's an emotional thing that uh, we're all going through and you don't have to be, you know, black to uh, feel the emotions and feel, you know, the pain and tension of the black community uh, and feel the pain and emotion of George Floyd after watching that video. Uh, and the, the counterfeit $20 bill comes into this. And, I mean, did he know he had a counterfeit 20 We don't know. I mean, it's not like he printed this up in his basement or something. You know what I'm saying? So, anyways, go ahead and throw your two cents in there about the civil rights side of it that the U.S. attorney was speaking about. Well, uh, I mean, you're going to have... I mean, I'm not 
an expert here, but I think at some point you're going to have to get into, you know, what was in the heads of these police officers? Was there a discrimination? You know, was it, uh, were they, are they racist? You know, and I, I don't know how you go about proving that uh, without um, trying to find some pattern of behavior. Uh, I do know that this cop um, has had uh, multiple complaints against them of excessive use of force. Now, what, would all of those involve African-Americans? Um, you know, is there somebody that could testify to his uh, prejudice? I mean, we'll see. Um, but, um, you know, as it, as it relates, you know, I, I just want to end the discussion with how I began it. And that is, mm-hmm. you know, um, we've all got to, I, I think the biggest impediment to a lot of success in this country uh, for all groups is uh, liberalism. And n- not only just that generally, but this socialism that is starting to take root within the Democrat Party. And what the reason I can back that up is by saying this is such a dependence on government And in order for these people to obtain power, they have to make everyone an institutionalized victim and to feel vulnerable. And that creates a dependency on government, or at least a dependency (coughs) on these particular politicians to be in office. And I think that's really dangerous. When we start to take away what we can do for ourselves and entrust it into a politician or a political party or something like that, I think we're handing over as individuals a lot of individual sovereignty and power that we have. And so when something goes wrong, when there is a problem, regardless of the merits of what's happening, it's us versus them. And that's dangerous for the survival of the country. And I think a lot of this is um, a conversation that we'll have to have at, a, at the right time. Right now, it's important that we uh, protest with a purpose. And that's key, protest with a purpose. Don't loot, don't riot, respect the society, respect yourselves and your neighborhoods, but by God, protest with a purpose. And put the heat on and make sure that justice is carried out here. And we can then maybe begin to look at what are we asking our government? What are, what are we, what is our views? How do we make society a better place? Because the majority of people that I know want to just get along and live together but yet there is this divide, there's this roadblock between people. And I contend that it's constructed by liberalism and government dependency and power to divide us while saying they're trying to unite us. Yeah, you, you're correct there. Um, let me take, take us back to... Uh, you know, a, a hero of mine, you know, when Dr. King marched 
and they marched in the 60s, uh, you know, you saw these uh, black folks with American flags over their shoulders. Uh, You saw them dressed respectively. Uh, You know, back in those days, everyone, unless you were working or something, you wore a a shirt and a tie or uh, what we would call a dress shirt now. And if it was summer, you had a short, you had your short sleeve dress shirts and you had your long sleeve dress shirts for winter. But everybody dressed nicely. And even if you were poor and couldn't afford a suit, you'd wore, you know, at least a button down dress shirt. And when you look at those pictures compared with today's protesters, it's a night and day difference. You know, nothing was was burned by Martin Luther King and his uh, followers. You go to today and they're setting AutoZone on fire. They're looting Target. And there's just as many white loot. Well, there's a few white looters in there with the black looters. I don't want to, you know, I think some people say, hey, saw the door open and, you know, went and grabbed what they could. That had nothing to do with George Floyd. (laughs) Um, But they also, they burned the third precinct police station. And I guess some officers actually had to be rescued off the roof of the police station. So, it's a night and day difference of how the protests are taking place. Um, but this is a divide in America that has to be, uh, cha- has to be connected. There has to be a bridge built somehow between over this divide. And yes, you're right. Liberalism always causes the opposite effect for which it was intended. So the great society programs, let's say, all they did was create a dependency on government and government took more power because that's what some politicians like. And so, yeah, you're, you're right to your point that liberalism is hurting the the black community and is causing a divide in America because they're pointing at the supposedly uh, class, the white privilege, quote unquote. I see a lot of this on social media, uh, you know, where white people are saying, well, we're sorry for our white privilege, white liberals, particularly, uh, and it's just a it's just a sad sad situation. But violence doesn't help. You know, on, hate cannot overcome hate. Only love can overcome hate. To paraphrase Dr. King again. So that's what we need to keep in mind. Do you did, was that your last thought before? Yeah, I that's wrap it for this me. Up? I think it's a good point to wrap it up and. And, uh, you know, we'll just everyone stay calm, say a prayer and keep uh, those in need in in your uh, 
at the front and center of your thoughts. Yeah, let's uh, let's all pray tonight, and uh, we'll see you the next time, Doc. Thanks for joining me. Give yourself a plug, quick. Well, not quick, but go ahead and give yourself a plug for your show and the your break wall uh, Twitter. Is the name of the show, Anchor.fm, and the Twitter account is the Breakwall Two. All right, well, thanks for joining me. I think it was a productive conversation, and uh, let's pray we get through this and. Come out the other side better. God bless everybody.